Welcome to the Taproom Post Net Podcast. I am Delta Zero Four, and we will be covering the Nets topic of the week. Welcome, y'all. I am Delta Zero Four, located in the Redoubt of the South. This is Tappern Postnet Podcast, episode 14-21. Every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern, Tappern has an amateur radio HF net. The primary purpose for the net is to promote self-reliance and preparedness in all aspects of modern life. The goal of the net is to share and disseminate information that can help everyone achieve individual independence and self-reliance. During the net, we'll have a topic of the evening, so this podcast is a summary of the combined knowledge our check-ins share during the Tappern Nets. If y'all have questions about Tappern, feel free to go to the following website, www.amron.com. Phonetically, that's www.alpha-mike-romeo-romeo-oscar-november.com. In the beginning of this year, the Amron Group and Tappern Group merged, so you can find Tappern information, including the net schedule and frequency, at the Amron site. All right, let's take a quick break, and then I'll provide y'all a net check-in report, and then we'll finally cover the October 26th Tappern Net Topic. And we're back. For October 26, 2014, Tappern had a total of 27 check-ins from the following states. Five from Virginia, seven from Florida, three from South Carolina, three from North Carolina, two from Georgia, two from Illinois, and one each from the following states. Mississippi, Oklahoma, Ohio, Tennessee, and Pennsylvania. Thanks everyone for checking in. This week's topic was solar panels and charge controllers. We'll cover the different types of solar panels and the pros and cons of each. We'll also talk about the two types of charge controllers that you can use with solar panels. I'll do my best to summarize the good info that the check-ins provided, but if you want to go to a few websites with very useful information, visit www.backwoodssolar.com. You can even request a catalog from them and they will send it to you for free. Another good website for information is www.wholesalesolar.com. A couple of websites that don't have as much information but have good prices on solar panels are www.renogy.com and www.dmsolar.com. And just to be clear with everyone, I have no ties to any of those companies. Okay, so let's get started. First, we'll talk about solar panels. The good news is the price of solar panels is going down and becoming more affordable. There are three types, monocrystalline, polycrystalline, and thin film. Monocrystalline and polycrystalline polycrystalline solar panels provide good efficiency but are rigid. Also, while most are pretty resilient to occasional small tree branches or hail falling on them, even if only one cell is damaged, the whole panel is ruined. Thin film solar panels, like amorphous panels, on the other hand, are very flexible which make them a good choice for portability. Also, even when part of the panel is damaged, the remaining cells will continue to work. The military have used these 
since they are lightweight and can take damage from a bullet but still work. The bad side to amorphous solar panels is I found them to be more expensive right now and it can require up to four times the amount of space to get the same power as a rigid panel. Monocrystalline is easy to identify. They are a uniform black color. These are the most efficient and tend to be more expensive. As long as you can place them in an area that will not experience any shading issues, they are a very good choice. You can find these even with 25-year warranties. Polycrystalline is also easy to identify. They are a speckled blue color. These panels are not as efficient, but they are cheaper than monocrystalline. Last is the thin film solar panel. One of these types is the amorphous. These can be a good choice if you have a lot of space but have some shading issues. Even if part of the panel is damaged or shaded by trees or snow, the unshaded portion will continue to give you whatever power it can. Besides the spacing issue, because of their thin structure, they tend to degrade faster and will naturally come with a shorter warranty. But they are a good choice if you're wanting something that's very lightweight and very portable. One suggestion, make sure you look at the specifications of the panels you are interested in. I'll get into why this is important a little later. Next, we'll talk about the two types of charge controllers. There is the pulse width modulation, also known as PWM charge controller. The other type is the maximum power point tracking, also known as MPPT charge controllers. Depending on the size of system you are planning, both options have their pros and cons. PWM charge controllers are not too expensive and can definitely get the job done for smaller systems. Something to keep in mind is they are not as efficient as MPPT charge controllers and you are limited in the type of solar panels you can use with it. If you are planning anything bigger than a couple of solar panels, you may do better going with an MPPT charge controller. They are a big price jump compared to the PWM charge controllers, but the efficiency is much better, even up to 30% better, and the type of solar panels you can use are much cheaper. So there is a trade-off, so let me try to explain that trade-off as best I can. If you are getting panels for a PWM charge controller, you'll need to make sure the panel's voltage closely matches the voltage of the charge controller and batteries. Let's talk about a typical 12-volt system. The panels you'll need to make sure to get is going to be between 17 and 18 volts. This is important to remember because what you'll discover is even though the PWM charge controller is a lot cheaper than an MPPT charge controller, those 17 to 18 volt panels are going to be much more expensive than the higher voltage panels. If you are getting panels for an MPPT charge controller, you have some flexibility on the panels. The MPPT charge controller can handle the higher voltage panels because it can take that higher voltage going into the MPPT charge controller and optimize the amps, leaving the charge controller going to your 12 volt batteries. I'll be the first to tell you I'm no expert, so I might not be explaining this exactly right, but I do know that the MPPT can handle panels with 31 to 37 volts, even though your battery system is only set up as 12 volts. The reason why this is important to know is because when you compare solar panels of the same watts, typically the 17 to 18 volt panels are more expensive than the 31 to 37 volt panels. Okay, I'm fixing to jump into a little bit more advanced choices, so hang on for the ride. If you are looking into a system with more than a couple of panels, you'll need to consider the best way to wire your panels. You could connect some panels in series together to form a string before going to the charge controller, or you could individually wire each panel to some sort of combiner box and then go to the charge controller. When it comes to 
the MPPT charge controller, you have some options on how to connect your panels. The different ways you wire the panels determine how many total panels you can connect to one charge controller. You'll need to look into your charge controller specifications to figure out the best way to configure your panels to get the most out of your total system. How you wire your multiple panels together will determine the miscellaneous hardware you'll also need to purchase. If you are really concerned about getting the most out of your panels, don't forget to calculate the wire distance between your solar panels and the charge controller and also the distance from your charge controller to your battery bank to figure out your total voltage drop. Depending on your voltage drop goal, you may need to go with a wire bigger than what comes with the panels. Hence, you will need a combiner box. The advice I was given was to try, and that's a big try, to keep your total voltage drop from your panels to your batteries to be no more than 3%. That's not a hard rule though. Also, don't forget about grounding your system, which brings me to a safety message. I've been talking about systems more from a temporary solar power system that you set up during an emergency. If you are interested in building a permanent system for your home, please make sure you follow the local building regulations and if you have any questions whatsoever, consult with the solar power professional. Also, don't forget to look into federal and state rebates for solar power systems. You may be able to save some money. Okay, let's get back to some basics. A couple of reminders. First, when setting up your panels, if at all possible, face them to the south and at an angle that is best for your latitude and the season. There is a slight angle difference between summer and winter, and if you can adjust the angle for the season, you'll get the most from your panels. If you live in an area that gets a lot of snow and you do not have a steep roof, you may want to consider mounting your panels on the ground instead of a roof. Then you'll have an easier time cleaning the snow off the panels. Second, if you plan to run some AC devices, you'll need some sort of an inverter. I'll very quickly cover inverters. Modified sine wave inverters are a lot less expensive than pure sine wave inverters. One check-in mentioned his modified sine wave inverter ran everything except their heating blanket. Some sensitive electronics do not like modified sine wave inverters, so keep that in mind. An option to those very expensive pure sine wave inverters that a couple of check-ins mentioned was a computer uninterruptible power supply, also known as a UPS. The check-in said you can sometimes find these in your office trash cans or fairly cheap on eBay. They basically act as an inverter, and since they used to power computers, they are made for sensitive equipment. One example provided was the APC Model 1500, which is for 1500 watts. Another little tip from a communication standpoint is if you want to recharge your laptop to be ready for a digital mode net, look into a power supply for your laptop that has a cigarette lighter adapter. One check-in said you can cut off the cigarette lighter adapter end and hook it up to your 12-volt batteries and not even need an inverter to recharge your laptop. Hopefully those ideas will help y'all save some money. Regarding which solar panel companies check-in recommended, consider looking into DM Solar and Renogy for good prices. For charge controllers, consider looking into Morningstar and Midnight Solar. Morningstar's website even has a calculator to help you figure out 
how many solar panels you can hook up to the charge controller you are interested in. Regarding inverters, a check-in recommended looking into Xantrex. All that was clear as mud, wouldn't you say? Well, if you need some help, my best advice is to go to the sites that I'll list on the website and do a little research. Some companies are even willing to work with you to help you come up with a couple of options that you can compare. If you are building a small system, make sure they understand that up front. Also, before you talk to someone, make sure you understand the difference between off-grid and grid tie. Most like-minded folks who are preparing for an emergency situation go with off-grid. Please remember, if your family is interested in a solar power system, y'all can come up with a system as simple or as complex as you want. I don't want folks to walk away from this podcast thinking, I could never understand all that mumbo-jumbo electronic talk, so just forget it. A small, complete system that is simple plug-and-play is much better than nothing at all. Besides, wouldn't it be great to take advantage of the free energy from that bright yellow ball in the sky? It just might help your family make it through a long-term disaster. All right, y'all. That is all for this episode. A special thanks to those who checked into the net and provided us all the great information to share. God bless everyone. Until next week, this is Delta Zero Four, clear.